Well, as you know, I am uh, preaching through um, the whole year on faith. And right at the end, I, I am talking uh, in four messages on a summary of the definition of faith. Now, uh, a couple of sermons ago, uh, I started out like this. I said, faith in all of the Bible was uh, partially defined by this. Living your life in accordance with the promise of God. Because in all of the Bible, people took God's word seriously and began to live for the day when he would fully fulfill his promise to them. And they didn't wait till the promise came. They started to align their lives ahead of time. And so I said, our greatest promise is heaven. And we don't need to wait till we get to heaven start to start living like we're in heaven. And that is a life of faith. Now, then uh, the, the next time I preached, I talked about um, how do you do that? You know, obviously we can't live uh, like we're in heaven through the flesh, but God has provided a way through Jesus Christ. And I explained uh, last week about how uh, our nature had radically changed since Christ had come into our lives, whether we realized it or not. We were totally new people. First Peter 1 says we are partakers of the divine nature through Him. So therefore we can live as if we were in heaven because we have the heavenly life in us. That's our identity. We can't control the world, but we can control ourselves. We can't, we can't uh, uh, be boss of everything that goes on, but we can be boss of sin. And we don't need to obey it anymore. We're not slaves, not masters to it anymore. We can live like we're in heaven. Now, if there were to be a summary of summaries, if we were to narrow this whole thing down, could we do it, do you think? Albert Einstein once said that the grand aim of all science is to cover as many empirical facts by logical deduction from as few as, uh, 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 of hypotheses or axiom as possible. In other words, to cover the most territory from the most fundamental, singular uh, propositions. Can Christianity do that? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to define Christianity, you could define it in, define it in one word. Christ. I cannot tell you how radically different that is than any other religion that has ever been in this world because there is no other religion that promises you a personal, intimate relationship with the maker of the universe. And at once, that attracts us and repels us. You know why? Because intimate relationships are both our deepest need and our most profound fears. That which we need most can also hurt us most. That's why we want love, but we're afraid of it. And that's why so many people come in to love God, and then they get scared, and they turn Christianity into a religion instead of a relationship. Let me uh, read to you from our text. It comes from John chapter 6. I'm sorry, John chapter 3. Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And he's telling him great and wonderful things. And Nicodemus is just questioning. How can this be? You know? Science does that. It questions how. Philosophy questions why. But theology questions who. And that's the answer that Jesus gives him. 
He's saying, Nicodemus, you're, you're, you're uh, 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 trying to figure out the facts and where they came from. Let me tell you what to pay attention to. It says in John chapter 3, starting with verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall, I tell you, uh, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believes in him has eternal life. Has eternal life. Now, let me just, let me just stop here and say, you remember that incident in the, in the uh, uh, desert. When, when the children of Israel are out there moaning and groaning, and, and God does the parent thing. He says, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. You ever done that to your kids? Whining, you know? You want to say, hey, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Let's have a little perspective here. And God does, does exactly that. He sends fiery serpents, and serpents are biting the people, and they realize how they were crying over nothing, and they apologize to God. So, oops, sorry. Could we have a source of healing here? And so God gives them a source of healing, which is a serpent on a stand, which is still our symbol of modern medicine. And when they look upon it, they are healed. The problem is that later on, they make it into an idol. And they have to break it because people are worshiping the idol rather than the God who gave them the healing. Jesus said, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but the world should be saved through him. Not a how, not a why, a who should be saved through him. And he who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Every religion in this world has words to tell you about God. Most major religions have scriptures. We have inspired scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures inspired by God and, and, and profitable for teaching, reproof, uh, uh, um, help me here, teaching reproof, Correction and training in righteousness. Thank you. Got stuck there. <laughs> the problem is that when we get these words, we start to make an idol out of this book. We start to think that Christianity is about following instructions. Christianity is about, uh, about creating rules and, and methods for living. There's nothing different in that. Every major religion in the world has, has their words, their instruction book that, that they try to live up to. The Jews have their scripture. The, the, the Muslims have the Quran. The, the Hindus have the Vedas. Uh, there's nothing different about that. The very unique thing about Christianity is that all of our scriptures point to one person. It says in John chapter 5, verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness of me. You see, Christianity is Christ. All of it is personal. 
What we have done is we have created a religion instead of a relationship because we were more comfortable with a religion. We, we have left out the very one who was the center of the celebration. I heard a story one time about two, two ladies who were in a restaurant just having a... I mean, they were laughing, giggling, uh, having a party. I mean, they had the little thing that go out like that, and the little pointy hats on, and the little rubber, you know, they, you know, just having a ball. And some lady just was watching, enjoying them, you know, enjoying them, enjoying one another. And uh, she, she, so finally she had to leave. She had a pair of check and leave, and she went over and said, uh, Who's the party for? She said, Oh, it's a birthday party. And she said, oh, great. He said, she said, which one of you is having the birthday? And she said, well, it's, none of, it's, it's her daughter that's having a birthday. She said, where's the daughter? She said, oh, we left her at home. Yeah, we could enjoy ourselves much better just, just us together. <laughs> now, what's missing in the picture? That's exactly how I see Christmas, you know? Everybody's out celebrating, you know? And they leave, leave Jesus in the manger because they can enjoy themselves better without Him. Because they don't have to pay attention to Him. That's exactly the way I see most people living Christianity. Oh, let's just follow the instructions of the book. That's something we can do. The problem is this. That if you leave Christ out of Christianity... If you simply take this book as rules and regulations or as a higher form of knowledge than anybody has, it becomes just as much of a burden and chain on your life as any false religion that ever was. It makes you more lonely, more inadequate. It makes your life more desolate. No. I heard, I heard a story one time about these people who were watching this master painter paint a, a wonderful painting. The painting was of a very bleak, uh, isolated situation. It was of a, as, as Snoopy would say, a dark and stormy night. And it was, it was of, a, of a winter storm. And in these woods, this storm had come and dumped so much snow that the, that the trees were sagging under the weight of the snow and all the darkness. And in the, the picture was this this run-down old house. It was dark, and it was desperately lonely. I mean, there was there. there, there it was such a a, a, a a dingy, awful place. And so, as you watched this picture develop, your heart got heavier and heavier, and more and more isolated. Except. Right at the end, the artist dipped his brush, the point of his brush, in yellow paint. And in one window of that house, he painted a light. And the mood of the entire painting changed. All of a sudden, there was life. There was light. There was someone there. And it made you want to go and see who was there. John 1, verses 1 to 3. says, in the beginning was the Word. I, I like what, what they said this morning. Can anybody learn about love through words? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's the scientific explanation, see? 
Okay, now you know how the world was made. But then watch this. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see what a difference that one life makes in all of the system of darkness, in all of the rules and the hows and the whys, that one life, that's Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is at the center of your faith, then you have life. And there is nothing that can extinguish your light. If he is not, you have only darkness like everyone else. We all begin in Christianity because someone has been kind and loving enough to tell us about the love of God. We all, uh, I think, are, are drawn to God because someone has loved us with the love of Jesus. Why then do we get very afraid and back off that love, that original love of God? Why does our love grow cold? And we reduce this thing to a bunch of rules and regulations or a bunch of knowledge and thoughts. Paul got so frustrated with the church at Galatia and said to them in Galatians 3, 3, Having begun in the Spirit, will you now be made perfect in the flesh? He could say that to all of us. When did you stop focusing on Jesus? When did you stop just loving Him, just for Him? When did you stop and why did you stop? Do you know out there and in this Christmas season, and I hope you'll gather them home, there are so many devastated people during this holiday season. You know, everybody thinks of the holiday season as a time of great joy. But it's a time of great pain. Because people are faced with their real life situation. And they have this sense that they ought to be happy. And they have this reality that they're not. And so they're, they're, they're faced with the tragedy of what they hoped could be. Of the nostalgia of all the happy and simple memories. And they face their, their life situation. Do you know what they need? They don't need more things that they can't do. They don't need more theology, higher thoughts. They need to be loved. They need to be loved. And God knows that. And that's what he's provided in Jesus Christ. Bring them in. Bring, this is their family. Let them come. Let them come and know that they're loved. It's so important. From the time we're little, we need that. And that's what we see. There's a, there's a, uh, a book out called Windows to Heaven. It's written by Diane Comp, uh, K-O-M-P. She is a pediatric oncologist. Uh, for those of you who can't immediately translate that, it means a cancer doctrine for, uh, doctor for children. Only this woman is a Christian. And she starts out her book by saying, for Christians, the big C isn't cancer, the big C is Christ. And she gives this, these wonderful stories about these children who have this personal relationship with God. Because that's how we start out. We start out seeking God. It, by the way, wasn't very often that Christ pointed to an adult as an example of spiritual maturity. It was always to children. 
except you become as little children. And there's a story in there. She says, she says, uh, uh, you know, there was this little three-year-old uh, boy who had cancer. And his family was, wasn't uh, religious at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, they had never even mentioned God. They were very, you know, scientific in their approach to life. And, you know, wonderful people, but just, you know, had, had never gotten around to, to even talking about God. And so one day the little boy came in and he said, Daddy, how did God make the world? Don't you love it when they do that? And this dad <coughs> went through the whole scientific explanation about how the world was formed and you know there were ages and then you know so on and so forth and the little kids just standing there you know just not buying the, I mean you can just tell not buying the whole deal and the dad got done with about a five minute explanation and and, uh, and uh, the story says that uh, afterwards just as an afterthought he thought he'd just throw it in for the fullest explanation of the culture he said, and, and you know, some, some people, uh, son, uh, believe that there's like a supreme being who made all this. And the kid said, whoop, that's it. That's it. He said, Dad, I knew what you were telling me wasn't true. It is God, isn't it? He did it. Now here's a kid who'd never heard of the name of God, but yet inside he knew there was a who instead of just a how. All of us start off like, why are we backing off? Why do we reduce this book to thoughts and behaviors instead of a person? I heard a story one time about a, uh, a lady, this wonderful lady, who had uh, gone into a nursing home. And, and she was advancing in her senility. And I've spent enough time in nursing homes and spent enough time now growing older myself to know that... Uh, as your memory fades, it fades backwards. That is, you can remember pretty well what you did when you were 10 years old, but you can't remember what happened yesterday. Some of you know that feeling. And that's exactly what happened uh, to this woman. She uh, uh, was uh, having advanced uh, systems, uh, uh, symptoms of senility. And, and she had memorized so much uh, scripture in her life. But... but that scripture began to disappear as she began to repeat it. She couldn't repeat as much. And finally, it became so advanced that she could only repeat one verse. And she repeated it over and over again. And the verse was 2 Timothy 1.12. The second half of 2 Timothy 1.12. It's a wonderful verse. It says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Isn't that a great verse? But as the senility advanced, the verse became shorter for her. And she began just to say, I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. And then she could only say, to guard what I have entrusted to him. Entrusted to him. Until finally it got so far advanced that she could only repeat one word, which she did all the time. Him. 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 But yet in that one word, she had the summary of all the scripture. Him. God loves you. How long has it been since somebody told you that? How long has it been since you responded to that? How long has it been since you focused on that? I'm telling you, you can try to get all of life to come together for you. 
and it never will because there's only one foundation. No one, 1 Corinthians 3.11, can lay any foundation except for that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come say, I, I will show you a way. I will teach you the truth. He said, I am the way and the truth. I am. It's personal. When I first started out in ministry, I've told this story before, but I love to tell you, it, it, it taught me a profound lesson. I was in southern Indiana. Becky and I were just out of seminary and, and uh, um, didn't have any children yet. And we went to this congregation. Now, this is in southern Indiana. It was a merger of a black congregation, an old farming congregation, and an old blue-collar retired railroaders congregation. Average age was about 106. <laughs> and we, by far, were the youngest people. We just, they just went, oh, you're so cute. We just love, you know, just love this, you know. Now, when you minister in a rural community, it's much different than, than ministering in a, a, in a city community. Because you, you can't rush around and do things. Because in a, in a rural community, time doesn't go by your watch. Time goes by seasons. It's a much longer process, you know. And, and you know, if you go if you go into a hospital and spend any if I go into a hospital and spend any more than five minutes with a with a with a patient now, uh, they, they think I'm uh, trying to stall for time, trying to figure out how to tell them they're going to die. You know, they think something's really up, man. This guy's been here way too long. But in old in old farming congregation, if you spent any less than a half an hour, they thought you were being abrupt. And so I remember going in to Arthur Nordhorn's room. Now, he was just in because he was just kind of ailing. You know, that's, that was a word. Ailing. What's wrong, Nordy? I'm ailing. Okay. <laughs> now, I'd sit on his bed, you know. And he'd always start out. And, and by the way, you, only, you know, in a rural community, you only have to know uh, to say two things in order to be a minister. I'll teach you those two things in case you, in case you minister uh, in, in, a, in a rural community. All you, this will qualify you for ministry in a rural community. All you have to say and learn to say is, that right. <laughs> and then, after they say, yeah, you say, huh. That's all you got to do. <laughs> so I went in and said, what's, what's wrong? I'm ailing. That right. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> and, and, and that gives him permission to go on and tell his story. Well, I'm sitting there. And he's saying, Reverend, you know, now I'm, I'm young enough to be his great-grandson. But you always had respect for the pastor. You always call him Reverend. He said, Reverend. He said, do they still have toys in cereal boxes for kids? I said, yeah, Nordy, they do. And he said, you know, when I was a boy, we didn't have cereal in boxes, but we had soap in boxes. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, huh. <laughs> he said, and you know, we had toys in those soap boxes. And, and he said, and I begged my mother to buy uh, those, those boxes of soap with toys in them because they were usually puzzles. And I've always been good at puzzles, Reverend. I've always been able to put things together mechanically, you know. And I said, yeah, you are. You're really good at mechanical things. He said, but I tell you what, Reverend. He said, one day... My mom brought me, brought that box home, and I opened up this thing, and there, there was a puzzle in there. There must have been 20. It was something you built. And he said, there must have been 20 pieces in that, in that puzzle. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, huh. <laughs> he, said, he said, so I worked on that thing for a week. 
I put that thing together every way, six ways to Sunday. I couldn't get that thing together. I was so frustrated. I had never not been able to put something together. So I decided they sent me a broken puzzle. Must not go together. And so I was about ready to tell off the soap company. But my mother suggested that I write, <coughs> excuse me, and ask for instructions. So I did. And pretty soon they sent me just a little slip of instructions. He said, you know what, Reverend? I said, what? He said, there was a trick to it. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, huh. <laughs> I said, what was the trick? He said, out of all of those pieces, you had to put just two of those. You had to find these certain two pieces. And those pieces went together first. And if you put those two pieces together first, then eventually all the rest of it would fall into place. If you didn't get those two pieces together first, you couldn't put it together no matter how hard you tried. And then he paused. And when a person pauses, you don't just start on with something else. You just wait because they're going to say something. So I just waited. He said, you know, Reverend, he said, I've always kind of looked at Christianity like that. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, huh. <laughs> he said, you know, it's you and Jesus. You put those two pieces together first. And eventually all the rest of it will come together. If you don't get those two pieces together, ain't no use. I have never heard a better definition of Christianity in my life. Let me ask you something. How much time do you spend lately just focusing on Jesus? Not for how he can fix your life. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting him to fix your life. Not for what he can teach you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to learn. But just him. Just loving him. Just for him. Because that's the bottom line of faith. God did not send a moral code he did not send a philosophical teaching. He didn't even send a baby. He came in a baby to be loved. Just to be loved and to love you back. Let me tell you one more thing. Just read this, just for perspective. I love poetry. I especially love love poetry. And this is uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning's poems. And she wrote this to her husband, Robert. If thou must love me, let it be for naught, except for love's sake only. Do not say I love her for her smile, or her look, or her way of speaking gently, or for a thought that falls in well with mine. For these things in themselves, beloved, may be changed, or changed for thee. And love so wrought may be unwrought so. Neither love me for thine own dear pities wiping my cheeks dry. A creature might forget to weep who bore thy comfort long, and lose thy love thereby. But love me for love's sake, that evermore... Thou mayest love on. Love Jesus. 
for love's sake. Pray with me. God, help us to focus on Christ. Help us to to just love Him in order to love Him. Not because we want something, not, not because there's some utilitarian goal, just to love. God, don't let our relationship fail because we didn't get benefits. No, help us to love you because you first loved us. This is not about a religion. This is about a wonderful, loving relationship with a God who cares for us personally and who teaches us to love back personally. Help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.